0: I prayed that prayer for the first time, I was was 11 years old, and I was in the backyard of my parents' house in Ohio and had really grown up in a church context, so I knew a lot about the gospel. I knew the Bible verses, the right answers to questions. Um, I had watched my dad become a Christian just a few months before this and and a miraculous change in his life. And I started to realize that all of this was real, that all of this life change was possible. And in that moment, I, I remember getting down on my knees and actually asking God to take my whole life to, that I wanted to fully dedicate myself to Him. And that transformed everything for me. It wasn't, it wasn't the knowledge that that ought to happen that transformed me. It was actually kneeling down and really saying, Lord, you can have it all. Today we're going to start a series in the book of First Peter. So if you'd like to turn to the book of 1 Peter in the Bible, you can do that. But I'd like, I want to introduce to you a little bit of why we share, why we're going to share this book and what this is all about. The title of the series is Faith No Matter What. I don't know about how you process what's going on in the world, but it seems like there are many aspects of our world that are growing more difficult, that are growing darker, and that our faith will be tested in the days ahead in ways that it has not been tested in generations. That's certainly true across the world. To some extent here in America, that is the case. When we think about our faith, it's designed to work no matter what the circumstances are. So when I think back to my friends in Sri Lanka as they're taking communion in a place where they have to keep their faith a little bit quiet and they have to be careful and sometimes people directly persecute and threaten them and their families, somehow faith has to work under that kind of pressure in the same way that it would work for you or for me. And when we think about our lives going forward, and we know that pressure will come, we know that suffering will come. Will our faith work in that moment, uh, or was it you know fair weather faith? Uh, so, First Peter was written to people who were under dramatic pressure. I'll share with you a little bit more about that in just a second. But New Testament letters like this one, First Peter, we call them epistles. They were written by key leaders in the first century church to define for people how to live for Jesus. So Jesus had come, and that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament. He had had shown the way of life. He had died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He empowered the people to go and follow him and live for him. But now, as as the next generation is coming up, things have to start to be defined. Like, okay, how, how do I do that? How do I follow Jesus when he's not right there next to me to coach me? How do I follow Jesus when I go into a situation and no one else is a believer? How do I follow Jesus when people are actively persecuting me? How do I follow Jesus when I'm tempted by the lures of this world? So the the epistles, the New Testament letters, are written to give us direction about how we apply what Jesus taught into the situations that we're going to find ourselves in. And, and those letters were written not just in general to anybody. They were written to specific people, specific churches in that time that were facing their own sets of challenges and questions and persecutions. So Peter writes his letter, uh, most people think, around 63 or 64 AD, which was right at the beginning of the, the reign of the Roman emperor Nero. If you know anything about history, oh, Nero was one of the worst figures that you could come up with as far as an evil leader for a group of people. Um, His persecutions against Christians and against others were exceptionally violent and horrifying. Uh, His his approach to governance was about as bad as it could possibly be. And so here are these people that Peter's writing to, uh, Christians who are trying to follow Jesus they're, they're, they're heading into a situation where things are about to be really dark. They're already dark, but it's going to get way, way worse. So you could almost read First Peter as something that, you know, Peter was anticipating, he was seeing the situation that they were in and anticipating that growing worse, but it's also like here this letter comes from Peter as a way of preparing the believers for times that are going to get a lot rougher on them. Okay, so Peter wrote this letter, in all likelihood, from Rome. Uh, he called it Babylon in the book, and we'll, when we come to that verse, we'll talk more about that. Uh, but that might have been sort of their code word for the evil empire of the day, and that was Rome. So Peter was probably in Rome when he wrote this. This is not that. This is there's not that much time between him writing this and him being martyred for his faith just a few years later. Um, In this letter that Peter writes to us, here's what we'll learn and what it was designed to teach to those first century Christians. First of all, how to live for Jesus in a world that is dead set against him, how to keep your character and your faith strong under pressure, and how to endure suffering the way that Jesus did. So Jesus patterned for us how to live the life that we're supposed to live. And we like that when we see Jesus, you know, healing the blind and teaching people to love each other. And, but I don't know if I like it so much when I also see Jesus putting up with all sorts of persecution and pressure and taking it with grace. So here Jesus, he, he demonstrates the way and, and how to live both in the good times and the bad. And Peter is going to remind people of that and say, hey, now, it, now is the time. To zero in on following Jesus, to literally walking in His steps, even if those steps take you down the road of suffering for what you believe and having to take a stand for what's right. All right, Peter, as we would read in the Gospels, and some of you who know the story of Jesus well, you've seen this before. That Peter was, you know, probably the most outspoken, the most committed, apparently the most faith-filled of those early disciples. Remember, Jesus came to Peter. Peter was just a simple fisherman on a boat. Um, Peter was the one who just gave it all up to follow Jesus. He left his nets behind. He was all in, and it seemed like he became kind of the leader among the original disciples. And he was the one that would always speak up, even if it wasn't quite the right moment to speak up. And uh, he was also the one that would go first into the, he would kind of live on the edge of faith, right? You probably remember this story. Jesus walking on the water and the disciples are freaked out. I mean, here they're in a storm, the boat is about to sink, times are rough and suddenly they look out and they see a figure out on the water and some of them think that's got to be a ghost, like that's not even real. We're out in the middle of this huge sea, Uh, how is that possible? And they realize it's Jesus and Peter with just such concrete faith, do you remember what Peter does? I mean, in the middle of this, you know, terrifying situation, Peter's kind of raises his hand. Hey, could I come out there too? And he literally takes steps on the water in faith to follow Jesus right out there on the water. And as soon as he gets out there, he kind of looks around, realizes what a crazy thing this is. And, and he starts to sink as like his faith drops. And so Jesus pulls him out of that. But even in that story, there's kind of sense that Peter is, he's ready to give it all. He's he is all in, as much all in as a person could be as far as commitment, okay? So when we read the book of 1 Peter, we're reading the story of someone who has lived what he's going to tell us. I mean, He has lived the life of faith and risk for the Lord. Hey, okay, a few other things about Peter. He stayed with Jesus when many fair weather followers were leaving. So there was a moment in Jesus's teaching when Jesus rolled out some hard stuff hard to swallow, <laughs> stuff about real surrender, like we just sang about. And a lot of people who were following because there was free food and miracles, they were kind of like, I think, I'm, I think this is where I get off this train. So Jesus looks over at the disciples and he says, well, are you guys going to leave too? And Peter is the one who speaks up. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So Peter's commitment was, was solid even when other people were scattering. Um, He saw Jesus' glory on the mountain. He actually wrote about this experience in 2 Peter, about how much that impacted his faith and his perspective. Peter was the one who confessed Jesus as the Messiah when the religious leaders were not believing. So remember the stories where the the people would come and say, who is that? Uh, Maybe he's John the Baptist. Maybe he's Elijah, come back from the dead. Maybe he's the Messiah. Uh, No, he couldn't be the Messiah. And that's when Peter stands up and says, well, I believe you're the son of God. I believe that you are the Christ. Uh, Peter was one who wanted to follow Jesus in the fullest way possible, and he was even the one disciple who declared that he would die for Jesus if necessary. Now, this is where you see through, like, Peter was not some superhero, uh, because he, he was declaring that, and Jesus said to him, Look, you have no idea what you're really saying. Like, things are about to get tough in a way you do not understand. And, and it was not that much later that Peter was out there and we see his faith falter. And that's, of course, the infamous story of his denial. Um, you remember Jesus was there at the, at the, on trial. It was very apparent that religious leaders wanted to put Jesus to death. And so most of the disciples had scattered. Peter was following. He was still kind of right on the edge of being strong and faithful. Uh, but he was starting to shrink back. And then somebody pointed at him and said, hey, you, weren't you with Jesus too? And in that moment, Peter said, I remember this is the same Peter who just a little while ago had said, I'll die for you, Jesus. He steps back, no, I don't even know him. And that happens two more times. Hey, you were with Jesus, weren't you? No, no, I've, I've never seen this guy before. Peter was broken in that moment because all of his declarations of faith, when it really came down to it, in the moment of real pressure, he backed away. So when we read the book of 1 Peter, we're reading the perspective of someone who has literally gone to the edge failed but then thankfully jesus restored him and we see peter ultimately becoming a bold key leader for that first century church and a lot of the stories in the book of acts the first part of it if you read it peter is kind of the key character i mean he's the one that's you see him opening doors and you see him leading the christian movement forward in those early days uh, so Peter was one who definitely lived what he preached. Like if the book that we're about to read together, First Peter and study over the next few weeks, is a book about faith under pressure, a book about suffering, a book about keeping it together when everything is against you, Peter lived it. And he's looking out at the world getting darker and particularly to believers in Asia Minor, which on a map today we would call that Turkey. And there were a lot of the churches that the Apostle Paul had planted were there. A lot of people had been following Jesus now for a number of years. Even some second generation followers of Jesus coming on the scene. And, and to those people, Peter writes. And he starts to talk to them um, in very honest and blunt terms. That things are not going to be easy. And you might have to suffer the way Jesus suffered like not just sort of suffer in theory or suffer like that somebody made fun of you, but actually really suffer. And, uh, and so, the, so he's helping them get ready for what is coming. He himself is going to have to face that suffering as well. All right, so turn in the Bible to 1 Peter 1, and we're going to read the first chapter together this morning. First Peter is so encouraging, especially when you think about the trials and, and struggles that you're facing to read these words, and to be called to a higher perspective, to be thinking about what God is doing, what eternity is all about, not just being lost in your own circumstances. So part of us, uh, part of our read of this is to think about what might come in the future and to say, hey, we live in a world where obviously darkness and light ebb and flow, and it seems like, it feels like there's increasing darkness in the world right now. So Lord, would you help us be ready for whatever that looks like? But the other side of us is reading this very personally, saying whether the world is cheerful or dark, all of us go through trials and difficulties that pressure our faith, sometimes on a regular basis. And so even if, you know, the community is doing okay, you might not be doing okay. The book of 1 Peter is going to give you encouragement. It's going to call you to see things in a different light and to understand that your faith uh, as it's tested, as it's proven, really is good no matter what. Uh, that when you put your faith in Jesus, that commitment is not, it's not based on the strength of your will, it's based on God's power working inside of you. So, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and His Spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed Him, and you have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. So he's writing to foreigners, but they're not foreigners in the physical sense, like they'd moved there. These are Christian believers scattered throughout this area. Likely mostly Gentile, probably some Jews, but Peter's talking to them as part of the family here. And he's saying, you, you're living as foreigners in a world that you, you don't belong to this world. Later in the text, he's going to use the word resident uh, or temporary residence, or some translations say aliens. You know, that here you are, you're, you, you think you're home, like physically you're home, but you look around and go, I don't think this is my home. there's a part of me that doesn't belong here because I'm part of something heavenly, not just earthly. So he writes to these people, foreigners in their own countries, just like you or I might be when we consider our lives. Verse three, all praise to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. For through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as a fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So, when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love Him even though you've never seen him. And though you do not see him now, you trust him, and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. This salvation was something that even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied this gracious salvation being prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when He told them in advance about the Christ's suffering and His great glory afterward. They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is also wonderful that even angels are eagerly watching. These things happen. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. And remember that the heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. For you know that God has paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless and spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God. And now you've placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. For you have been born again, not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living Word of God. As the Scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like the flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So we hear that word from God and we say, Lord, thank you for giving me a vision and a purpose that goes beyond the sufferings and trials I'll face in this life, in this world. Even when we do get mixed up and start to put confidence in earthly things, We're corrected any time something goes wrong and we realize, wait, this is just as passing as a wildflower in the field. Anything in this world that we give our hearts to will eventually pass away, including our physical selves. We will pass away. But the Word of God, the truth of God, the kingdom of God, that's what lasts forever. So whether we're heading into a darker time or whether you're heading into a darker time, Either way, we look up to heaven and we say, Lord, regardless of what happens to me or to my life or to what I care about that's in this place, um, Lord, I want my eyes to be fixed on eternity. Now, when Peter writes this to these people, that obviously is hope-giving. What will come next in the book are instructions. How do you live when the world is aligned against you. How, do you? how do you live in a family when not everyone agrees to follow Jesus at the same time? How do, you, how do you make your way in a community when people are actively persecuting you because of your faith in Jesus? How do you still love and still do good in that situation? So in the next few weeks, we're going to walk through this whole book. We'll talk about a lot of these ins and outs of how, what the instructions were to these early Christians. But I don't want you to miss today just the encouragement that this brings, even to wherever you're sitting right now, wherever you're dealing with right now. Your faith is good no matter what. God will see to it. So let's pray and thank Him for that. Lord, we see in Your Word here, even in moments of great testing and trial, that You use that to purify Our faith and to make it even better going forward Lord we recognize that in moments of pressure and darkness that's when our light is to shine even brighter so we commit our futures to you recognizing that we we can't and we shouldn't put our faith in the peace and safety of this world but rather We experience peace and safety or suffering in the future. We want our first and greatest aim to be heaven and not earth, to be the transformation in our lives and who we're to become, not just the things that we have or the freedoms that we enjoy. So Lord, I pray that you'd give every one of us that perspective in our heart today We look forward to studying this part of the Bible together. Lord, would you teach us through it how you want us to live? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, well, God bless you on the way this week. We'll see you next time.